Are you looking for an internet talk radio station for your podcast? Look no further. At the helm of Passionate World Talk Radio are two women that want to provide a spot for you and your podcast to be heard. There are many other places for your podcast, but PWTR has the audience. You will not be disappointed. Our station has been on the internet for the past 16 years. Call us for more information. 484-364-1032. Or text Jeannie White, station manager at T-H-E-C-O-N-N-E-C-T-S-H-O-W at gmail.com for a podcast show details. Welcome to Passionate World Talk Radio. Educate, enlighten, entertain. Hello, everybody. This is Betsy Wurzel, your host of Chatting with Betsy on Passionate World Talk Radio Network, where we educate, enlighten, and entertain folks. Well, I just want to say this. Uh, I always have to say the disclaimer that the views of the guests may not be those of the host or the station. Folks, I want you to listen to this podcast because I'm really proud of my guest and his wife for coming on. The world needs to know, and I do get emotional when I don't apologize because this is so close to my heart. I want the world to know what people go through to get a diagnosis of any kind of dementia what that person goes through, what their spouse goes through. I know what I went through with my husband. I want you to hear my friend's story. And I want to thank Sean DiLorenzo, originally from New Jersey, and his wife, Tricia, for joining me today and to share their story. And I, am, I, I just wish that my husband would have been vocal and that he would have talked, but by the time I had the show, Chatting with Betsy, he wasn't able to. So I'm thankful for people like Sean and his wife to come on. And I want to hear from more people who have dementia. We learn from you. We need to hear from you. And I say stand up, speak up, and get out of the dementia closet and tell your story. We need to personalize this disease with the name and a face. So I want to welcome Sean DiLorenzo and his wife, Tricia DiLorenzo, to Chatting with Betsy. Thank you for joining Thank me you. today, Thank Sean you, Betsy. and Thank Tricia. You. Thank you. Uh, you're welcome. Sean, I'd like for, to ask you, first of all, how, are, how old are you now? Uh, 53. And how old were you when you were starting to have difficulties with um, memory and whatever else you had difficulty with? Uh, 50, but looking back, maybe a little earlier, not much earlier. Wow, that, you're very young, yeah. um, very young. And I, I had to ask this because I know my husband and I were told this, and he was 56. Were you at any time told you can't have Alzheimer's or any dementia because you're too young? Yes, I was. 
uh, I basically was led to believe that I was clinically depressed. And I knew I wasn't. And my primary physician knew the very first time I saw him that that uh, there was something seriously wrong with me, but then I had issues with my neurologist, and uh, none of them wanted to uh, agree with him or or what we uh, my wife and I tried to explain to them. And uh, you basically have to prove uh, uh, that something's wrong with you. And nobody wants to prove to a doctor that you have dementia. And uh, so, yes, yes. Were you working at the time, Sean? Were you working at your job at the time? Oh, I was um, taking care of my my, nep- uh, our, my nephew. But you and, weren't uh, um, em- okay. You you weren't employed by, um, but you weren't working a, you know, a job where you were paid for. Because a lot of times, uh, employers notice problems, and they fire the person without even giving a person a chance. I. Matt, my husband, was. we were very fortunate that his company knew something was wrong and put him out on disability. So that's why I asked if you were employed at oh. the time. No, I was a, I was stay-at-home uh, caretaker for a young man uh, for close to five years. Who had no, then that's a job, yes. Yeah. And, yeah, uh, that's the... That was uh, pretty rough, so um, and that's what I did, 24 hours, 7. Let me ask Trisha. Trisha, did you notice anything unusual about Sean having difficulty knowing where things are in the house or how to get to someplace? Were you suspecting something was amiss? I, I knew something was going on, and I thought that it was just stress due to him taking care of our nephew. But when our primary diagnosed Sean with the dementia, I started looking back, and things started making sense that you know that you didn't notice at first, but then you look back and you notice, like, yeah, he's he was you know, repeating stories or asking same questions or um, little things like not knowing where he put something. Um, We have little notes around the house, just little reminders, like, you know, make sure the fridge is shut. Um, We have a daily calendar that, you know, we write stuff on that he's done or needs to do. Um, He has a routine, like if he, I mean, because he's still... He's still able to drive. He's still able to do things for himself. But I have to put little notes in his wallet to let him know what to get where if he goes out and does errands while I'm working. Um, it's just little things. But, yeah, the, the more I look back, the more I, I realize that he was showing signs way before he was diagnosed at 50. And I have gone back, and it's a couple years prior to that. 
to that diagnosis. Yes, uh, and that's very common. I found the same thing. When I look back, Matt was showing signs before he went to a neurologist, and it, it runs in Matt's family. And I remember saying to Matt, I had intuition, I want you to get um, a baseline, you know, exam from a neurologist when you're 60. I didn't know at that time that you can have dementia at any age. I did not know this. Um, And, folks, I want to keep this in perspective. There's so much um, known now that wasn't known 12 years ago when my husband was diagnosed. There wasn't the information back then that there is now. So early onset Alzheimer's was like even the doctors uh, here where I lived did not even, I don't even think they knew about it. Um, But did you have, um, Sean, neuropsychological testing where they would ask you questions and ask you to copy things? Yeah, I did uh, uh, verbal testing, physical testing, and uh, uh, cognitive testing on paper. And uh, uh, by both neurologists multiple times. And... Started, I just got tired of paying a big bill to do it over and over and over and over. <laughs> right, right. Um, Matt couldn't even, he was done. Like, I took him for the test, and I think it was like a five-hour, a five-hour, a good four to five hours uh, that he was yeah. there, and he, he was done. Um, were you told after they did their testing and you went back, were you told by any chance that you didn't try hard enough, you couldn't possibly be this bad, um, anything like that? Uh, we didn't get to that. Well, my first uh, neurologist, she, she uh, um, I'm, I'm trying to get the word out, uh, Um, I I can't think of it. Um, the first neurologist. Oh, hi, Betsy. The first neurologist that we saw, the first time she saw Sean, he she, he was like, uh, she was like, "Yep, you you've got Alzheimer's. You're at the highest stage of it." And we saw her a few times, and each time we would see her, he she would ask him, like, remember these three things, and she would, like, check his joints and then come back and say, what are these three words that I told you to remember? And it just seemed like every time we went and saw her, her diagnosis changed. So we saw her four or five times, and we had five different diagnoses from her, and we finally said, you know, this one's not working. Let's go, to, let's go somewhere else. And so we went and saw our second neurologist at a big clinic up in Portland, which is about 45 minutes from where we live. 
and he did all of these uh, uh, these cognitive tests on paper and questions, and then before he wanted to send Sean to the five-hour testing, he wanted to do all these other tests and thousands and thousands of dollars, He, you know, prior to sending him there. And it was like, oh, who would want to spend $15,000 before you go do a $20,000 test? And it's just, it was like, well, you've got something wrong. You're you're progressing rapidly, but I can't tell you if it's Alzheimer's or dementia yet. I don't. He just kept going back and forth like the first neurologist. One minute he's got it, the next minute he wasn't sure, then he's got it again. And so it's just, it's hard. It's hard going to doctors yeah. and hearing one diagnosis compared to another. So... And it's frustrating. I was frustrated. And did you find that the doctors did not believe you or Sean? The doctors very rarely let me talk, to be honest. Um, I was told by our first neurologist um, that this was not my appointment, that this was Sean's appointment, and that I, I didn't need to voice my concern. Um, oh. The second, oh, yeah. The, oh the my second, goodness! I would have went off. Oh my goodness! <laughs> I I was being a good girl. The second <laughs> neurologist, um, he would let me talk, but he yeah. stuck his head in his computer while he was typing and mm-hmm. really didn't respond. And he really he he was more directed towards Sean, and then if Sean would say something, he would like interrupt him and not let him talk. And it's just uh, okay. Well, I'm with him 24/7. You don't want my opinion or what I see because it's not exactly going to match with what Sean's going to be saying to you. And it's just it's frustrating. It's extremely frustrating. Yes, yes. Um, that would make my blood boil. I, it, it is very frustrating. And I want people to know this. I, I, I really hope in the near, very near future that there is a better way to diagnose that the a neurologist, a psychoneurologist will be more humane in how they talk to people and they need to start to believe the patient and the caregiver. And they need to start addressing the needs of the caregiver and the person who has dementia. And I think it's a disgrace and it makes my blood boil when a neuropsychologist can say to someone, you can't possibly be that bad, you weren't compliant, and you have a deep psychological problem. When they're coming to a neuropsychologist with the memory problems, why can't they believe that that person doesn't remember what they just were shown? That's why they're coming to you for help. I, but you know what? I didn't know 12 years ago to know now. So, but it just makes my blood boil even 12 years later that people are still having the same issues. And the medical community, in my opinion, needs to wake up and wait, to wake up really quick because this is uh, an epidemic. It's going to be more so as baby boomers are, are aging like myself. Um, 
and Matt was also misdiagnosed with depression, and I think it goes hand in hand because, let's face it, who would not be depressed when you can't do what you used to do, you find it frustrating doing things, you, you aren't um, maybe enjoying some of the things you used to do because you find you have difficulty doing it. Who wouldn't be depressed? Exactly. I mean, yeah, that's 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 one one thing they they uh, both asked me, and uh, uh, I told them, uh, you know, even you know after they finally agreed on a diagnosis, uh, you know, and throughout everything, I kept yeah, getting that 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 feeling of I'm sitting on a couch at being asked depressed questions. And uh, I feel like I'm being not here for a uh, neurological uh, testing or it didn't seem uh, correct. And uh, I remember the, the one doctor, she asked me, well, you know, you know, do you, do you feel depressed? And I said, well, you know, of course I, you know, I'd be depressed. Who wouldn't be with a diagnosis like that? I said, but I'm not depressed as in clinically depressed because, uh, honestly, I uh, I had a feeling before I walked in there. And, you know, so I kind of had a feeling what was going to hit me in the face, and I was ready for it. And uh, uh, it's not to take lightly. You know, you know, uh, uh, you know, it's still a shock to hear, but like I, like I told her, it is what it is. Nothing I can do about it. And, you know, um, uh, I'm going to continue on. I'm not going to cry on my Cheerios. Uh, I don't need medication. I don't need to sit on your couch once a month and pay $500. And, uh, uh, you know. Uh, either you know help me whatever way you can, or you know I'll be on my way. And my other neurologist, he was so rude that he would never uh, like never listen to Trish. Basically, uh, put her in a corner, and uh, uh, I could only get maybe half of what I'm trying to tell him out, and he would cut me off, and he would go back to depression, and my uh, uh, he had me do a paper uh, uh, test, and he was sitting across from me on his computer, and I couldn't even do the very first uh, uh, problem on the test. And I was so humiliated that I started to cry. And he yelled at me and uh, grabbed the pencil out of my hand. And he says, what are you crying about? And I said, I don't understand what I'm supposed to be doing. And um, so he, he, he grabbed the pencil and he showed me kind of how to do it and you know, I, I I just looked at the test and, and it was, you know, it was, uh, it, uh, it was a mess. To me, it didn't look like anything. Yeah. And, and, and uh, 
Uh, when we walked out of there, I just told Trish, I'm done. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not doing this anymore. I've got my uh, diagno- uh, diagnosis from two neurologists and a primary. I don't need to spend any more money. And, uh, and I'm not going to be treated like that because uh, uh, when you're dealing with, I feel, when you're dealing with someone with a, a, especially a, a, a life and death situation, uh, the patient uh, relationship with the doctor, I think, should become a little bit more tighter and caring. Right. And yes. uh, and uh, and uh, and listening, uh, be yes. open, and uh, you know, and no matter what they have to say, it may it may sound crazy, you know, uh, you know, uh, but you know, if, if a patient, you know, might have a delusion, might have uh, you know hallucinations, listen to it, you know. Um, cause it happens and it happens all the time. And, uh, uh, you know, he, he just was absolutely cold. He was, he is basically, uh, more interested in finding out how I got the, how I got it, Alzheimer's than he was, uh, helping me. And I wasn't interested in how I got it. I mean, once you got it, you got it. So, yeah, I mean, I don't care. Uh, um, he just uh, just was not friendly. Excuse me, my dog. He just was not friendly at all. Um, and uh, he just didn't show any emotion or care, you know. And, yeah. Uh, he was based. He he based everything off of uh, paperwork and documentation and uh, nothing else. So if that, if 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 your score, if you did a, a MMSE test or a MOCA test, and your score was just one digit, you know, higher than considered uh, dementia, then then you were perfectly fine. You know, uh, then he tried to tell me about reading MRIs and that, you know, he doesn't see anything in the MRI. And I really, I really get frustrated when uh, out of all the MRIs I've had where they say it's remarkable. Well, you you can't diagnose an MRI. Uh, You can't diagnose Alzheimer's or dementia with an MRI. The, the person has to be actually passed on, deceased, and, and then have an autopsy. But, right. but you know, later on in later stages, you can see things going on with the brain. Right. But until, you know, so uh, he, he would just say, well, you, you look just fine. Uh, it looks just fine. Well, I'm putting, you know, uh, the coffee pot in the stove and the uh, toilet paper in the refrigerator. And, you know, that's not fine. That's not normal. So, anyway, I feel like I'm rattling. 
sorry. Uh, you know, no, you no, don't be sorry, Sean. You're talking. I, I can totally understand. It breaks my heart that a doctor is that mean and cold. And I, I wish I could say it's the not the normal, but I have come across uh, doctors like that. And um, I'm not saying all doctors are bad, folks. There's many, many great, wonderful, compassionate doctors. There are. I just wish there was more in the field of neurology. And it's a shame when you have to fight from diagnosis, from the beginning of diagnosis with this disease, and sometimes to the end, like I had to. It's, there needs to be a better way to diagnose. And like I said, I, I hope it comes to that. Um, my husband's company doctor suspected dementia. This is the thing that is unreal to me. She never saw a test of Matt, yet she knew. She suspected he had dementia. These yo-yos down here um, <laughs> had tests right in front of them that was my, Matt's brain was um, shrinking already, global shrinkage with spots right. on it. EEG was abnormal, said suggestive of dementia, and they still wouldn't say that. They still said he yep. was depressed. And, That's uh, you my, know, it's, it's mind-boggling. Absolutely yeah, my mind-boggling. Last, my last uh, MRI uh, uh, were only a year and a about a year apart, year and a half apart. First neurologist ordered it. And uh, oh, maybe a year apart. And then the second neurologist ordered one, but within the five weeks of getting that uh, uh, MRI, he wanted me to go see. Uh, I believe it was eight doctors in five weeks. And I don't. All these were different types of doctors, and do a three nights stay at a hospital, doing uh, sleep apnea test and. Uh, uh, and I already had my diagnosis, and uh, I told my primary, I said, I, I, I'm not doing that. I, it's a waste of money. And like my primary said to me, very caring man, and I love him dearly. And uh, he said, Sean, it's just like flushing to uh, money down the toilet. Uh, you just, you know, you know what you got. You know how the book ends. Let's 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 do what you want to do. And my plan was to skip all those doctors and go for that just that final MRI because that'll tell us the, the most information. And uh, uh, and I did that one, and that was two MRIs in one day, one with contrast, one without. And I had white matter and white spots and. Uh, yeah. And, you know, I have brain leakage uh, holes, and I have a tear, a slight tear. And I have uh, brain atrophy. And uh, the neurologist stated on my, fi on my file that uh, I was progressing rapidly. And, uh, but... Um, he would still not commit 
to a final diagnosis until my doctor talked to him and said, look, you got all this, this, this information in front of you and you wrote it down. So, you know, you're committing when you write it down. And uh, so we, we finally got all the, the correct information. Everyone agreed. And uh, I told my doctor, my primary, I was done. I, I, I'm not going to waste any more money. Uh, I know what I got. I, I, I know what I need to do. I know what I can and can't do. And uh, I, I, I know where this leads. I don't know how it's going to feel because I haven't been there. But my doctor, primary, from the very beginning, uh, before even any diagnosis, when I came in to see him, he knew that something was wrong with me. And I had an MRI with him, and he came back with broca aphasia expressive. And uh, uh, I believe that's when the beginning of my Alzheimer's started. And, uh, and, and, and I didn't have a stroke either. Uh, people believe that, uh, you know, the only way you get aphasia is through a stroke, but you can get it through a brain tumor, cancer, uh, stroke, or a neurological disease. And uh, um, my family, uh, the, the neurologist didn't want to listen to my, my family's genetic history. And it's massive with uh, dementia, Alzheimer's, on both sides. And they didn't believe in it, neither one of them. And said, no, nah, it has nothing to do with that. And I, 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 it, it disgusted me because... It's like, yeah, it has a lot to do with it. And, uh, yeah, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, it yeah, does. My mom, yes. And, and, uh, my mother's, uh, side of the family, it just seems like everybody went that way. And, uh, my, my father's side of the family, a lot of them. So, you know, it raises your odds. And, right. uh, and they just simply don't want to believe that. It's, it's like they're afraid to sign their name off on a diagnosis of early onset because they don't want to misdiagnose a 30, 40, or 50-year-old man and say he has Alzheimer's and then misdiagnose him and, and then get caught mistreating him or something. They, they want to wait the three to five years to where you have demised and you walk in, and then you look like you have dementia. You know, so. Yes. One doctor told me that they can't, they're leery to say that because of lawsuits um, that they're afraid to, to say that a person has Alzheimer's, so the person could come back and sue them. Um, but when the I find the attitudes of neurologists, even in 2022, even 2021, the attitude still is awful, just awful. Um, oh, yeah. My brother had undiagnosed dementia, and the doctor's attitude was just, well, we'll wait and see. There's nothing we can do anyway. So it's like they don't care. I really have gotten that impression that some people in the medical community just don't care. I agree with you 100%. I do. 
Um, I am very thankful that my primary I've had for 16 years, he's a year older than I. And uh, it, it just seems we connect. He, he knows me. Even the, even the 20 minutes I spend in there or a half hour I spend with him, he knows me so well. Uh, it's, uh, it's not like your normal doctor visit. Uh, where, yeah, they treat you and, and kick you out and all that. But uh, he gets to know you, and he knows me very well. And he kept telling me every trip I went to see him, he said, Sean, the second time I went to see him, he told me he had brocophagia. No, he called me at home, told me I had brocophagia, explained it to me, told me, get, get on Google, look it up, start studying it, edu- educate yourself. I said, okay. And uh, then I had another appointment with him. Every appointment, he, he kept looking at me and he says, uh, FTD, CTE, Alzheimer's. He says, you remember that? And he says, and you remember this one word and I want you to look it up, hippocampus. So I did. So I started studying from almost day one for the last three and a half, well, three and a half years actually now. And uh, uh, have learned a great deal because of him, because he he was informing me uh, as I'm going through this that what he believes, and and it was easier for him to give me the these words because he didn't have pamphlets like they used to have hanging on 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 walls and uh or any bits of information so he just give me these words to look up and then i just start reading and then branching off and branching off and reading more and more and more and uh uh and then so eventually i went into his office and he's like you remember what word i asked you i said yes and then i started talking to him he says you should have gone to med school yeah i just started rambling <laughs> and <laughs> oh that's I, good that you know, you educated yourself. Did your doctor, by any chance, or would you go for a clinical trial, Sean? Um, I was going to go do, I, I mentioned uh, this last one that just came out. I don't know if I'm allowed to mention the company's name, but, uh, uh, or the drug. So uh, um, it just got approved by the FDA several months back. Right. And, uh, uh, I asked him about it, and I I was concerned about it. And he looked at me and he says no. And he says no. I'm I, I'm I'm telling you no. And I said I agree with you. And he says there's way way too many uh, uh, hits and misses and and not enough uh, research done. Uh, Good points. He he just didn't believe in it, but that 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 was his opinion, and and right, I agreed right. with him. And yeah. Uh, um. So, but I did get invited to that research. Yes, I did. And uh, um. But I you know I declined, and not that I didn't want to help out dementia community, but with the side effects that it was causing, uh, those side effects are a norm 
on my mother's father's side of the family of hemorrhages and uh, uh, blood clots and swelling and bleeding. And so I didn't want to get caught that way. Right. And, uh, yeah. Well, you have to do what's best for you. Um, you know, Matt didn't want to participate in clinical trials. And really back then there wasn't that um, many. My father, 12, 13, let me see. Yeah, 13 years ago was in a clinical trial. But 13 um, years ago for vaccination and people were having problems with that, but then he had to drop out uh, of that. Um, I want to ask you, Sean, are you enjoying life to the fullest as much as you can? You're doing, you know, activities that you enjoy doing because they always say enjoy doing what you can do while you still can do it. Uh, you and Trisha doing, you know, living life. No. 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 No, I uh, I don't even watch TV. I haven't watched TV in a couple of years. Uh, my sleep pattern is different. Uh, uh, dinner together isn't, but maybe once a week. It's very hard to get together uh, and go out to have dinner uh, because of my sleep pattern. I'll sit up all night in bed and just stare at the ceiling for five hours. I, I don't get up and wander. I just stare at the at the ceiling. And then I'm up early in the morning, 4.30, and that's uh, about my most energy I have. I get a lot of brain fatigue. Uh, I can only do so much uh, of anything uh, mowing maybe half the yard, which is normally a 40-minute job. And uh, the only thing I enjoy is uh, flowers doing my garden. And uh, other than that, uh, I don't. I, I've pretty much given up on my cars. I've been a car guy all my life, and they just sit there now. And uh, I have really no interest in anything. I don't, and yeah, we we do things, but we don't we don't have enjoyable, really enjoyable things to do. And it yeah, just and right now like it's I, hard with yeah, it's hard with COVID now yeah. anyway. Yeah, um, yeah. I uh, yeah. even even before that, I, I we we just didn't go do anything. Uh, I, I just I was not interested. Uh, I was over-medicated to begin with through the neurologist, and then uh, so that would make me sleep for days upon days, and uh, and got that got out of that, and uh, you know it just it's hard to smile. Uh, yeah, it's very hard for me to get out the front door. Uh, I can have a distraction of a phone call, and my after that phone call, I'm angry inside, and I, I it could be nine o'clock in the morning, and I go, well, there's my day. They ruined my whole day, and I'm not going to go complete my routine. 
I know it sounds like an excuse or whatever, but it's weird. You you can tell your brain, hey, pick up the, the, the cup of coffee, and it's automatically done before you even think about it, really. Uh, uh, yeah, but once... But once you get this disease, it kind of reverses, and the disease takes uh, control of you and tells you when you're going to go to bed, when you're going to lay down, if you're going to go mow the lawn, if you're going to go drive to the store, if you feel like talking. And uh, that's what I'm. That's where I'm at. And it no, sucks because. I wanted to do, you know, my bucket list got short and it got quicker, and I wanted to be able to enjoy life, but, you know, it's, it's just, it's very hard to do. Yes, I can understand so. that um, tremendously. Trisha, how is this, you know, for you? <laughs> it's got to be very difficult, I'm sure. Uh, well, I know. It's It's hard. It's hard because on top, I, I work from home, so I work 50-hour-plus weeks doing my job. And then on top of that, I'm now, because Sean's unable to do certain things, I, I now do everything. I, I literally, mm-hmm. I, I start work at 5.30, 6 o'clock in the morning. I'm off work around 3 or 4 then I go do what he's not able to do, errand-wise, grocery shop, housework, laundry, take care of him. I mean, there, there's days where he can do it, but it's far and few compared to how it used to be. Um, I mean, how it used to be, all I did was work, and I would come home, and everything's done. The house is done, the shopping's done, everything's done. And now it's like I've got two full-time jobs, and you know, and a husband that I'm not exactly sure what quote-unquote mood he's going to be in on any given day or time. So it's 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 really hard, but, you know, our saying is, it, it, our saying with each other is, it is what it is, and we're together through it all because it's not just him with the disease, it's me with the disease too. So whatever he encounters, I do too because I'm right there next to him. Right, so. right. I have to ask uh, this because I'm curious since it uh-huh. is, you know, the year 2022 now, but when you, uh-huh. when Sean was diagnosed, were you given any type of guidance for resources as to where to go for help? No, we were not. We, we were not. This, we, it's non-existent now. Yeah, no, it's non-existent now. I know that when um, my mom's side of the family has dementia, and I know that when my great aunt was diagnosed with it oh, 15 years ago, she she was given sources and she was giving uh, resources for family and extended family, so we knew what to look for and how you know how to help her. That's non-existent today. It's not out there. You have to do it on your own. So. Uh, yeah, yes, you do, and that's a shame. Go ahead, Sean. Oh. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, my doctor mentioned, <clears throat> excuse me, my primary mentioned, uh, you know, 
getting a hold of the uh, local uh, hospital here in town because they have groups there. They have uh, support group sessions there. And that, you know, I haven't gone to that. I've met some people actually online uh, through my support groups right here in town that go that go to this, this same hospital and uh, small world. And, uh, but you know, uh, I, I just, I, I don't, I don't find myself, I don't find myself needing or feeling the need to go and sit in a room and talk about, talk about what's going on with me. I don't, right. I, I don't, but, maybe yeah. I, yeah, people no, probably like might. That but, too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't mind doing it this way. I, this is this is this is this is very quite simple. Uh, you know, I I I I just don't share. It's kind of uncomfortable. I don't mind. Right. You know, I could get up probably in front of a thousand people and, and talk, but getting in a little room and listening, I, this sounds so selfish, but to listen to everybody's issues is is mind grinding. And uh, I, I, I can't handle that. And, yes, uh, I, yeah, I could understand you know, that. When I go to the support groups, and you know, I, I don't, I, I read a lot of it and have a lot of compassion uh, for everybody, uh, caregivers, loved ones. Uh, hard to find patients with early onset that will talk, and uh, 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 I just can't sit there and open up to them. If someone asks me a question, I'll answer it. And I've done it many times and, and you know, but I, I just can't say, well, I'm having a bad day today. I, I, every day it seems like something blockades my day and gives me a bad day. Uh, it can be anything. And, and, you know, it never used to be that way. I don't understand, you know, I don't, I understand why, but it's weird that, that that it's that way now you know right uh, uh well, you know how 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 the aggravation you get from very simple idiotic just not nonchalant things happening to you you know right. um, let me ask trisha trisha how do you feel about would you attend a support group oh, you probably don't have time but um, like virtual, if you did have the time. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. I did do one. It was through the online thing because it is hard to get out and from what I'm doing. And I understand that caregivers have frustrations and they need to get it out. But I just, hearing every little thing that, you know, that, how can I say this? It, it makes me feel, <laughs> yeah, I mean, 
you know, you've got people complaining that he doesn't remember, she doesn't remember something I just said to her, and they get frustrated and they get angry about it and, you know, saying she, you know, he or she's just, they're faking this so they don't have to do this. I can't, I don't understand how that can be accepted. I, I don't know. It's hard to explain. I don't want to go into a group well, where yeah, I hear nothing. I under, yeah, I understand because I I go I'm I'm in a lot of caregiver groups. I'm also a moderator uh-huh. and I have my own. There are caregivers who are very judgmental right. of other caregivers, but there are people who don't even they're not even educated to know why their loved one is doing something that Correct. is unusual. And, this and is I think where, that's what gets... Yes, education. I, it's, it's yeah, education. I, think, I think that's what gets to me is that if they would educate themselves a little more, they yes. would understand a little more and maybe not be so frustrated and angry. I mean, yeah, I'm angry that he's got it. He's 53, almost 54 years old. I'm, I'm mad as heck that he's got it, but it is what it is, and I just, we have to go day by day, and honestly, if it wasn't for having some knowledge of the dementia due to my family, but if it wasn't for the hundreds of hours that Sean has spent in the last three and a half years, I wouldn't know as much as I know now either. So I just think that if you're a caregiver, you really need to educate yourself and learn what you're looking at now and what you're going to be looking at in the future and just, you know, understand that the more your loved one progresses, the more they're going to be doing things or saying things that they wouldn't normally do. And you've got to understand that that, you know, could come and how to address it when it does come so it's easier on yourself and your loved one. Absolutely. Thank you for saying that, Tricia, because I say that all the time. Now they hear it from someone else. Thank you. You're uh, welcome. <laughs> thank you, because I've, I have said it for so long that we must, a caregiver, and there's no excuse, a caregiver needs to educate themselves about the loved one's uh, dementia. I worked. I did it on my own. I did it on my own where there was no, I didn't have internet. I didn't have Facebook. I learned what was available at that time. But now uh-huh. there is so much out there on Facebook, so much out there on the internet, there is no excuse for a caregiver not to be educated. Now that sounds harsh to you out in the audience. I'm not even going to apologize because I am from New Jersey and I say the truth and I say it the way it is. <laughs> there's seminars no, there's, going on there is all no the time. excuse. Yeah, there is no excuse not to educate yourself. If you're going to educate yourself with your loved one and what you're going through, you need to educate yourself as a caregiver as well. Yes, and the tide is, I think, changing slowly um, here in New Jersey anyway. My neurologist, his wife works for um, COPSA here in New Jersey, and they are addressing the caregiver now, and they are addressing the caregiver needs. So, um, you know, it may not be like that in all states, and a lot of times we don't know about our local resources. 
So this is where, you know, I would suggest for anyone out there listening, um, you know, all over, check with your um, local county of aging. Check with your senior center for support services. Ask your doctor. Sometimes they have a social worker in the office. Ask them to help you. You know, there's so many, um, well, there should be a lot of resources out there, you know, now to help the caregivers. I just wanted to say that. And I, I can't thank uh, Sean and you, Tricia, enough for coming on and um, telling your story because people need to hear what people are going through. And, you know, another side, I mean, I could do a whole other show with you two, the financial aspect of early onset, that devastation. Um, there is a whole different set of circumstances with early onset Alzheimer's than when someone who is older. I'm not saying one's worse than the other. I'm just saying from my experience, um, you know, the financial devastation. I mean, that's the truth. And it's just different set of circumstances. Go ahead, Sean. Uh, he was saying it's a, the financial side of it. It's, it's killer. It's, that's probably what's yes. going to kill me first is the finances. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yes. Um, we lost more than half of Matt's income when he yep. went on Social Security. Um, I was working. I'm thankful that I had my son Josh at home so that I was able to work um, because he stepped up to a plate and he helped with his dad. But a lot of people don't have that. Right. And... Um, you know, there is a problem because when someone is young like Sean, they may not meet the, the requirements to get some kind of help. Sometimes and that's, that's where we're at thing. right now, Betsy. <clears throat> yeah. And that has to change yes. also. As yes. more young people are getting diagnosed with this, they're going to have to change their guidelines. I mean, you know, you've, Sometimes have to be 60. Sometimes you might have to be 55. It depends where you live. Um, right. so, so many things need to change in the um, dementia world. And yep. I can say, you know, that really with hospice, and I know this because from other people, but I actually had a hospice nurse say to me, there is different criteria for those with cancer and those with dementia. Yes, so that there right is. there ticked me off. You know, that right there just ticks me off. Um, yes. That has to change. There's so many things that have to change, folks. And you know what? Maybe you're thinking, oh, well, I can't change anything. Yes, you can. You can speak up. When you see an injustice, you need to speak up. When your loved one isn't treated with respect, you need to speak up because People have to know, the medical community has to know, we're not taking this crap anymore. That's what I told one social worker. I'm telling caregivers not to take this crap. We are going to speak up, and you need to listen to us. And that's, that's my Jersey girl coming out. <laughs> no, that's, you're 100% right, because we've been told several times trying to get some help uh, with some of these testings that they want Sean to do. We've been told several times, well, if you had cancer, you would be automatically no questions asked. 
but because it's dementia and you're not the quote-unquote dementia age, there's nothing we can do for you. So, and, um, yeah. And that's, that's sad. I know um, Matt couldn't... It is sad. I know Matt couldn't have the PET scan, PET scan, because it was very expensive. And the mm-hmm. insurance um, wouldn't uh, pay for it. But now... <laughs> There's a way to kind of do that. The neurologist said um, that he knows how to work around that, and so it kind of depends on the doctor. But um, so many things need to change, and I won't ever stop talking about that, and I will never be silent about this disease. And I really thank you so much for coming on, uh, Sean, and Tricia, sharing your story. Do you have any advice, any words of wisdom you'd like to leave for people? Yeah. Um, if, if, if you, you know, a lot of people just say, my, my stepdad would say, uh, you know, it's, I would mention my keys. I forget my keys or sunglasses. You know, everyone says, oh, that's just part of getting old. Well, think about it. And, and think, uh, Think about uh, watching your spouse if they're forgetting things or acting just a little bit different. Uh, Things in the wrong places, wrong locations, buying incorrect food, and uh, uh, just oddball things. But when you go to the doctors, don't take no for an answer. And and even if it's your primary, say, you know, I, I respect you, but I want a referral to a neurologist. And if the first neurologist uh, doesn't want to hear from you, then you go to another one, and then you go to another one. Go see 20 of them if you have to. You, you go until you feel that you're satisfied with what is being said to you, explained to you, and if it sounds correct to you. And, uh, yes, it'll cost money, but, you know, if, if you want to get, uh, get it right, just keep going and going and going because it's, it's worth it to find out exactly what it is, what you're dealing with, because it might not be the, the, the dementia. It might be something that's, uh, pseudo dementia, uh, so, uh, just continue to fight to get someone to work with you and listen to you and care for you, you know, and uh, that's, that, that is willing to listen to you and knows that, you know what, he's going home and educating himself or she is, and they're going to know more than I do because it seems like some of these doctors don't, don't keep up. And, uh, you know, and you walk in there and they got prehistoric <laughs> things hanging on their wall, you know. Uh, that's what I would say. I would say just just fight and fight and fight until you get what you want or you need. And uh, otherwise, advice. we're not going to get anywhere. Yes, that's good Hello? advice. I say that's great advice, Sean. I I say the same thing. Go until you get peace. Go to as many doctors as it takes to get peace of That's mind. Right. Trisha, do you have any advice as a spouse? Trish. Yeah. 
she's right here. Hi, Betsy. Hi. Do you have any advice to give to the audience as a spouse? Any words of wisdom? I would just say take it day by day. Start, you know, wake up with a fresh day. Educate yourself because you're not going to get much education as a, as a spouse or a caregiver. Do it, your, do it yourself. Just educate and just know that you're going to have your good days and your bad days and cherish every day that you have. Very good advice. That's great advice. Well, I want to thank you again. You folks, you heard Sean and Tricia DiLorenzo, their story. Um, this is not an isolated story, folks, I'm sad to say. It, this is a worldwide. These are thousands and thousands and thousands of people. We need to hear from people like Sean. We need to hear people like Tricia, myself. If you are a caregiver, if you had dementia and you want to come on my show, you can email me at Sloan, that's my married name, S-L-O-A-N, Betsy, B-E-T-S-Y 31, at gmail.com. We need to hear from people uh, who have dementia. We learn from you. We learn from our uh, experiences and sharing our stories. And please share this podcast to help someone else. And if you miss any of it, you can hear it again on your favorite podcast outlet. I am on Spreaker, Spotify, CastBox, name a few. It is free to subscribe to Chatting with Betsy, so please subscribe. And just, you know, thank you for listening. I want to thank people who listen and download and share because um, this podcast of my show, Chatting with Betsy, is to help people. It's all about helping others. It's my way of paying it forward. And I want to thank Jeannie White, station manager of uh, Pastor World Talk Radio Network for writing the blog and producing the show. And I want to thank William Caldwell, CEO of Pastor World Talk Radio Network, who gives people a chance to be heard. It's important to be heard and it's important that we share our stories. And I will never be silent. As long as I can talk, I will not ever be silent or back down from talking about this disease. We need to personalize this disease. Um, we need to come out of the dementia closet and shine a light on it. And we need to show our journeys. Oh, we need to stop being ashamed. We need to be proud as caregivers. We need to be uh, proud if you have dementia. Don't be ashamed. Be proud that you are dealing with a disease and shine a light on it. And we need to educate people. There's a much work to be done. We, as I know as a veteran caregiver, I feel a responsibility to help new caregivers navigate these waters. And if you're looking for a support group, I have one, hashtag kick Alzheimer's ass movement. I welcome all dementias from all walks of life. You don't even have to be a caregiver. You just want to get educated, come join my group. And um, that's uh, what I have to say today, folks. I want to thank you again for listening. And in a world where you could be anything, please be kind. This is Betsy Wurzel, your host of Chatting with Betsy on Passionate World Talk Radio Network. Bye-bye now. Are you looking for an Internet talk radio station for your podcast? Look no further. At the helm of Passionate World Talk Radio are two women that want to provide a spot for you and your podcast to be heard. There are many other places for your podcast, but PWTR has the audience.
you will not be disappointed. Our station has been on the Internet for the past 16 years. Call us for more information. 484-364-1032 or text Jeannie White, station manager at T-H-E-C-O-N-N-E-C-T-S-H-O-W at gmail.com for a podcast show details. Thank you for listening to Passionate World Talk Radio. You can listen to this program all over again by going over to https colon forward slash forward slash passionate world talk radio dot com. You can also hear it on Spotify, Spreaker, Amazon A L E X A, AMFM two four seven dot com every Tuesday evening between eight and nine PM. YouTube Facebook, Facebook Live, LinkedIn, and all the other podcast directories one can find on the Internet.